0: Hello and good morning from Indianapolis. It is 1249 a.m. on this beautiful, beautiful Friday morning. There is Pac-12 basketball and Bill Walton on our hotel TV. And I'm not tired yet. Welcome to something new content-wise that we're doing. Uh, We meant to do it last night, but we got caught up in being up till 3 a.m. writing. This is Dispatches from the Big Ten Tournament. I'm with myself, Jason Hahn, and Gavin Struvey. Str- I, I don't know I don't know it's true you know what you know what what i i not didn't, wa- didn't want to ask we're keeping it in uh <laughs> we're here we've been in Indianapolis now this is going on day three tomorrow uh we got in Tuesday night my day I'm losing track of days here uh but the point here the fact that the point is uh we've been in Indianapolis we've seen two nights of basketball and we're gonna talk about it uh, you know, the first reason, obviously we should get into why we came. Uh, Nebraska, unfortunately, did lose 72-66.
1: And the reason why we came was John Harr
0: <laughs> The reason why we came was John Harr Nebraska, we'll start there. Nebraska loses 72-66 to Penn State, ending its season. In relatively disappointing fashion, Penn State outscores Nebraska 49-29 to in the second half after being down a being down a considerable margin at the break. You know, more of the same from what we've seen from Nebraska this year. Another, you know, first half in which it looks incredibly, incredibly competent and another second half that's just painful, excruciating, all of the words that you want to hear. Nebraska was a 37-23 in the first half, outscored by 20 in the second half. Hence the point differential, what went wrong.
1: Really, the first thing you have to point to is just the first three to four minutes of the second half. Right, uh, all you get is this kind of Penn State onslaught, and it was something which Fred Hoiberg was trying to drill into his players. You hear him talking in the halftime interview before leaving the court, talking about how they need to stop Penn State from deciding the game in the first four minutes of the second half, and it just didn't come through. And and obviously, part of the reason for that is that the likes of uh, junior guard Marion Jones, junior guard Isaiah Brockington, both of those guys were held to zero points in the first half. If you can generally expect a law of averages to kick in over a game, that wasn't going to hold. But even then, you you kind of see just a, another one of those kind of mental lapses, and that's not really a very scientific way of putting it, but there's, you can't really explain it any other way, you know? Well,
2: if you were to take out the first 10 minutes of the second half, it would have been... Completely different game and a completely different score. Um, I would say the two measurable reasons why Nebraska lost were obviously rebounds and fouls. I think you guys would agree with that. I mean, Nebraska put itself in an absolute snake hole early on in the second half with fouls. Um, Whether or not those were the right call, we're not here to make that decision. But largely it was Nebraska's fault,
1: and I don't know the exact time. Penn State started in the bonus, but it was very early on. I mean, you can kind of just see uh, in the free throw differential, Penn State in the first half only had about five free throws, and in the second they have 24, right, Uh, or 23. And that's that's just not something... You can partly attribute that to a change in philosophy. It really did seem like Penn State was trying to get inside more, right? But you can't attribute that all to just them playing a little bit better, right? I mean, especially the differential between the two. Sure. And Penn State also, not necessarily one of the biggest foul-drawing teams in the Big Ten or in college basketball, right? They're about average, and that was a anything but an average free-throw-drawing performance in the second half. Yeah,
0: well, looking at Penn Nebraska committed its seventh team foul with 13-18 to play in the second half. Penn State had cut Nebraska's lead from 13 to 1, roughly within that same time span. So, you know, it's it's pretty directly correlated. There, there were stretches in the game where Penn State just wasn't scoring from the field. It was all coming from the line. And, you know, on the other end, Nebraska's offense did the thing again. The ball stopped moving. Uh, Nebraska started relying more on players generating looks one-on-one as opposed to in sets and cutting and when it looks so beautiful in the first half well not
1: just generating one-on-one just generating out of just nothingness you know just like a random player taking a three at inopportune times and every now and again they would go in and it was able to keep nebraska in the game uh but you can't rely on that for 20 minutes you can't rely on that for 10 minutes really you know no you can't it's it's not very
0: sustainable I guess is my point um, it does you know the the way it ends the way it ends does suck uh, the way it ends does suck it was very unfortunate uh, especially the collapse down the stretch even when Penn State battled back it, it appeared that Nebraska had some life uh, I, I I personally point to the the Trey McGowans. <laughs> Uh, the three down four with, you know, roughly, roughly, hmm, looking back, trying to find
2: it here on the game log, but... Uh, some, like, 13 seconds or something like that?
0: 13, yeah, yeah. Some, some something. I don't know. If
2: that goes in, that's a completely different shot, but definitely wasn't the ideal look. I mean, that's two games now, or... Is that two games against Penn State now that McGowan's has taken the, arguably, the game deciding shot... Yeah. Um this one wouldn't have been to Tyre take the lead, but you remember that last game when he came off and uh Teddy Allen was used as the decoy and McGowans missed that one, but Yeah.
1: yeah. And and all credit to Trey McGowans. He was uh, the Huskers' highest bar, or highest plus minus player in the first half and then the highest plus minus player in the second half, although there's a very uh highest plus minus for Nebraska that is in both and there's um obviously a big difference there. In the first half he had a uh, 22 uh, plus 22 plus minus and then the second it's negative 13 right um but Trey McGowan's what he offers is not necessarily that three-point shot so it's sort of strange that he keeps getting put into that position where uh he's like coming off where you have a hot player like a Kobe Webster or Thorby or Thorberry or Narson uh used as the decoy right and then they give to Trey McGowan's and it would almost be better to have Kobe uh take a contested three at that point it's
0: the, the offense faded. It would have been nice to see McGowan's go to the bucket, but in all actuality, we're, that's, we're farthest from the reason why Nebraska lost. 33% from the field in the second half, 18.8% from deep. Uh, Thor, Trevor Lakes, and, and Kobe, uh, wow, each made the, the three three-pointers in the second half. Uh, Penn State, meanwhile, you know, Myron Jones woke up in the second half, 14 points. Uh, we, Brockington. Brockington well had 14. Jamari Wheeler had 19 points. Our King John Harar had 14 boards, 10 defensive, 4 offensive.
1: Yeah, and something that's really disappointing that's also to note is this team added a lot of size over over the off season, and we were expecting them to be a, a far better rebounding unit, especially with the addition of Derek Walker halfway through. And in the last few games, that seemed to have almost completely collapsed. I mean, it's partly due to the fact that Delano Band seemed to lose a, a fair bit of confidence, um, despite his like six foot eight frame. He just wasn't rebounding as well, but. You almost were kind of looking out there, and you're like, "This isn't necessarily all that much better rebounding outfit from when Ivan Odrago was like the only rebounder on the team." Yeah, uh, sure. That's what he thought, sitting on the bench yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah, he. I don't think he played on a on a Wednesday yeah, night. Yeah, both him and um,
2: the choice to not play Shamil Stevenson as well um, was notable.
0: Interesting lineup management. It worked for a little while for the
1: first half.
2: In the first half,
0: when Nebraska would go stagnant, Fred would have a couple of changes ready and things would get adjusted. But in the second half, it just you know, ran out of ideas, I guess, for lack of a better word. But getting out-rebounded by 16, you're not going to win any games getting out-rebounded by 16 in
1: total. Which you also have to note that the departure of Teddy Allen seemed to not only reduce, or it seemed not to just increase roles on the team, right? Like Kobe Webster got more of a role, Thor got a, a... far greater increase in role but there are some players who in the absence of Teddy Allen took notable steps back in their in their contribution Shamil became a non-factor from the non-factor that he was Ivan Udrago was benched um Delano for sure as well Delano for but sure that
2: may have been coming before then, even uh a perhaps but
1: still it's it's notable that this this loss of Teddy Allen, even though people were decrying him as like the ultimate black hole seemed to hurt a lot of his teammates a lot more than it helped yeah, uh, it's it'll
0: be tough uh, to exactly quantify what helped and what hurt because of his departure. But you know the bottom line here is he was the key factor in both of those games. Without him on the floor, Nebraska looks fine. But when you need an alpha dog down the stretch, there was nobody really there to make the play. Kobe Webster sort of assumed that role, but. There really was just no
2: cooking for Nebraska. Yeah, Kobe Webster is not designed to be an alpha dog at a Big Ten school. I mean, he assumed that real well at Western Illinois, but not ideal, and it worked for a couple games. but Yeah, it's it's not something you want.
1: Yeah, and, and Webster at his best will hit like 6 of 9 from the three-point line or something really nice like that or 5 of 7, right? Very efficient performances. But you see Webster's role in the Northwestern – or sorry, Penn State game – Uh, It was a lot more driving down into the low post and taking these weird little baseline faders. And that's not a kind of shot that Fred normally wants. And I don't know why he was taking them necessarily other than the fact that at certain points in the game just nothing was happening offensively and he had no real choice otherwise. I
0: don't know. Is there there any any other sort of bow you want to tie on this one? Uh, I mean, Derek Walker was good. Six six assists, six assists mm-hmm. which was a career high. Four played really hard. It's going to be really interesting to see what he decides to do next year. Uh, but other than that, I mean, it's you know, kind of unfortunately par for the course. Uh, the team's been through a lot, played a ridiculous amount of games in a yeah. really short amount of time. Uh, you have to commend the effort, and at least unlike last year. There are pieces on this current roster that you can say, and there were people on the floor in Indianapolis at the Big Ten Championship where you can look and say, okay, these guys will be able to contribute next year. And thats I'm not sure that's something you could
1: say at the end of last season. Yeah, so at the very least, yeah. that's progress. And the big reason for that is we actually do feel like there's some of a sense of a security in the fact that some of these players are staying like uh trey mcgowan's came out uh only a day after the game or a few hours after the game and he said that i'm staying and i'm very confident and because trey mcgowan's is staying i mean this is sort of the reality you can be 100 percent sure almost that bryce is uh, coming too. um when yeah, that was still kind of so that's that's very big um and so you you can kind of see that where last year pretty much at the end of the season it was partly due to the fact that the world was just collapsing right but a lot of these players were very quiet and we didn't really know what was going on until they were already gone right and you see a little bit more security and you even see fred hoiberg after the game saying that we're not going to have another roster overhaul next year so you can really see nebraska take big steps forward while not losing so much on the margins like it did And you won't have to teach the Hoiberg offense again, which is a big thing. Yeah,
2: Yeah. ideally next year with most of these pieces returning and then, I mean, you're bringing a five-star guard and a four-star center. Four-star composite center. (laughs) Four-star composite center by the 247 composite and Mm -hmm. ESPN. Um, And you're keeping all these pieces and, in theory, in a watered-down Big Ten in a season where you're not playing 12 games in 24 days and 14 games in 30 days, I think it was. This should be a team that's at least competitive night in, night out, and maybe more toward the middle of the Big Ten. But, I don't know, it's far too early to predict next season, but there are definitely things to look forward to.
1: Yeah, and we, we sort of underestimate the fact that from from last year to this year, there were significantly more games where Nebraska was competitive, even up until pretty much the very end, right? Yeah. Uh, like, we, we kind of... Consider this Nebraska team a wash, right? But in pretty much every single category, despite what it might appear facially, and despite what I said earlier about the rebounds, it was just a better team, you know? Yeah. And and it seems to only be getting better, you know? Uh, like, who knows what the prospects could be next year. Yeah.
0: Top 100 Ken Palm team still? Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, there we go. Uh, switching gears from Nebraska a bit, let's get into some of the stuff we've seen outside of the Huskers. I won't get into the Minnesota Northwestern game we caught before us too much, other than it really looks like the first game of a tournament inside a dome stadium. Because holy cow, it was awful. Both teams were not good yeah, shooting wise.
2: Perception was certainly off. Yeah.
0: Uh, I mean, that's really all that's needed to be said uh, said there about that one. Minnesota, you know, was able to avoid the inevitable conversation about its future for one more night. Good for them. Moving on to today's action. We started off in the morning with the Maryland and Michigan State contest. Um, Michigan State gets off to a very incredibly hot start, uh, and then Maryland responds, and quite nicely so. Maryland holds a lead at halftime, which is not something that you know I really expected based on you know, flipping through the channels and checking the score early in the game. Uh, and then Michigan State just imploded, big-time really imploded. Um, Gavin, you you know we were able to catch
2: a lot of this one out. What did
0: you see from Michigan State, and what do you think went wrong for them today?
2: Yeah, so I watched pretty much like the first ten minutes of the game and saw them get off to a seventeen six lead. I think it was at its height, mm-hmm. um, and then was in and out until somewhere in the second half. And um, saw on the TV they were down eleven. Um, so what went wrong? Between then, um, I'm not totally sure. I didn't pour through the box score, but looking through, I mean, I don't. The, Michigan State is a team that, again and again, looks like it has things figured out in the recent weeks until it plays Maryland, right? Like you saw, they beat. They had that home slate two weeks ago where they beat Ohio State and Illinois, went from obscurity back onto the bubble, and then lost to Maryland by 18, I think it was, yeah. and then won that big game against Michigan last week, and then. Lose to Maryland again. Um, By most accounts, I feel like this is a team that should feel safer about its tournament prospects with those recent wins, but I'm not sure if this is a team I would at all feel comfortable about choosing
1: to win. Yeah, I just wanna. I just wanna add personally that Aaron Henry's role in the game against Maryland seemed pretty strange. I mean, he ended up having a thirty percent usage rate. He was by far and away the highest usage rate player on the team that night. And really, what always struck me about Aaron Henry was that he was almost like a Andre uh, Kirilov kind of player, right? An AK forty seven kind of player, where he Kirilenko. Wore... Kirilenko, thank you. I, I it completely. I just <laughs> defaulted to a random Ukrainian Russian <laughs> Um, Thank you. Uh, he, he puts up these really magnificent stat lines and they're backed up by the the data afterwards, right? But he kind of he has this twelve point nine rebound six turnover game, right? He he shouldn't. If you're using Aaron Henry in the right way, you don't want him to be your primary playmaker making six turnovers, no, right? A big
2: part of that is I would say the lack of a true point guard on this roster this year, right? I mean, Cassius Winston held that position for four years and now it's Rocket Watts who I don't know what. I would say by most assessments has not lived up to expectations in his first couple years in East Lansing came in as a high four star and had that big game against Michigan last week, I think uh, 21 points and four assists, but really struggled today. And um, that means Henry has to take on more of that um, distributor role, role, which he does well in. I think he averages about four assists a game, but he is by no means intended to be a point guard and, um, have the entirety of the offense run through him. Yeah, and
1: you have this kind of weird situation where Cassius Winston's sort of shadow seems to loom over the team, and it's like, well, we don't have Cassius Winston, but let's just kind of combine all these like weird players and let's try and recreate them. And it just results in this Frankenstein that just doesn't quite work, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty accurate assessment in Michigan State. I mean, the guard play is just way too inconsistent. I mean, Rocket Watts and Langford combining for seven points on... 2-of-13 shooting is never something you want, uh, especially in March. I don't know if it's just a problem with Maryland, but to me, Michigan yeah. State seems like a 10 or 11 or maybe even a, a first-four team that is going to be very, very matchup-dependent in March. Because, I mean, you, you can really ill afford, uh, you know, a just really sloppy performance like this and the total collapse in the second half is you know, your last game, especially after the high of beating Michigan to come back and just essentially lay an egg against a Maryland team that's fine, but, you know, that's certainly not going to
1: rip anyone's head off Yeah, that Maryland team's also trying to find its identity after losing the Twin Towers last season, you know? That's true. Uh, This is a Maryland team that really doesn't have any business in its own right uh, defeating really top teams. And what that goes to show, despite some recent... uh, appearances to the otherwise is that Michigan State again is just really isn't quite a top team yeah our 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 good friend
0: our good friend Aaron Wiggins though 19.6 of 11 he's been he might be he's he's a closer they're got they go Maryland goes as their guards go if 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 two of the three of Wiggins Ayala and Morsell are are having productive games Maryland's probably going to win today Wiggins and Ayala combined for 40 points Ayala gets to the line 11 times Maryland wins. It's
2: a pretty recipe for success.
1: Yeah,
0: I mean, Maryland's pretty experienced. Wiggins, Ayala, and Morsell have been there before. Uh, They'll be a tough out in the tournament, and they will be a tough out for Michigan, I think, tomorrow. We'll get into that a little bit later, but I I think Maryland, you you know, they could pose an interesting threat. Uh, Anything else to say about the uh, Michigan State and Maryland One one
2: more sentiment I had was we didn't even talk about Joey Hauser yet, who is supposed to be one of the... (laughs) I don't know, maybe the second or third option on this team. And that kind of speaks to his performance today, two of six in 13 minutes. When he and Watson, Langford, and, I mean, Henry also with the six turnovers combined for that kind of performance, it's going to be almost impossible for this team to beat anyone respectable. And Michigan State's leading scorer was actually sophomore forward Malik Hall with 19 points who saw that. Usually is not much of a contributor for them, so that was certainly interesting. Yeah.
0: Uh, moving on here to what we thought was going to be the game of the day, before the game of the day actually occurred, Minnesota and Ohio State, which at the beginning looked like no nothing of a contest, until it got real fun at the end. Ohio State led this game. They Ohio State jumped out to like a thirteen to two lead. 13-0 13 nothing lead. Minnesota didn't score for the game's first six minutes. Honestly, it looked like last night against Northwestern, where Minnesota
1: just couldn't score. Yeah, it looked like Minnesota didn't sleep from that point on.
0: 13 nothing <laughs> after four. Minnesota scores its first points with 13.05 left in the first half. Minnesota doesn't score for the first six minutes of the game. Minnesota, you know, continues to not really get close to Ohio State and is down 39-27 at halftime, a 12-point game. This is about when we get to the arena. We think, oh, you know, nothing's really going on. This is a blowout. Where can we sit and watch the rest of this blowout?
1: Which the thing is, too, is that it didn't necessarily show all that much that it wasn't going to be a blowout up until this last stretch. Really, uh, I think it reflects... Most partly on Ohio
0: State, if anything. Yeah. Well, Minnesota does close the gap in the second half. They get it to 5 with 8.38. but then Ohio State comes back, pushes it back. Musa really contributed for them today. Uh, Justice Suing, of course. E.J. Liddell is the stud. That will be the guy they get it behind. Ohio State is up 70-56 to 56 with 3 minutes and 24 seconds remaining in this game. And then it's... Our good friend, Marcus Carr. Minnesota closes this game on a 19-9 run. Marcus Carr scores 11 points during this stretch and hits an incredibly sick step-back three to make it a one-point game with 13 seconds left. Steps back, does the Dame time on his wrist. He was really fun down the stretch. Uh, Ohio State is able to pull away. E.J. Liddell makes some clutch free throws down the stretch. So does Dwayne Washington. Ohio State's two you know, kind of fitting that Ohio State's two, you know, most productive players are the ones making the big free throws down the stretch. Ohio State comes away with a 79 75 victory. Very thrilling. The last, you know, minute, minute and a half of this game are just pure chaos and what makes tournament basketball so
1: much fun. And it was fun, too, watching the Ohio State fans slowly just their complexions completely draining from their face, right, as they realize what's happening in this incredibly drawn-out, three-minutes-a-game-time span. Uh, and and by the time it was over and Ohio State won, their fans weren't even really all that excited, more just exhausted. Yeah. I, I mean, mean
2: well, that, this kind of outcome is at least in part to be expected when you're – I mean, Ohio State was kind of playing with fire, with, not intentionally just against a absolute mercurial guard like Marcus Carr, who – at one point, I don't know, I think it was 4 of 20 from the field. Yeah, before and that end just stretch. Just tremendously struggling, throwing bricks, kind of getting pushed around the court a little bit, and then all of a sudden at the end, when it mattered most, he exploded. Um, he makes for the best, yet a far far more inefficient version, uh, the best Damian Lillard impersonation in the Big Ten.
0: Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he was four of 20 from the field. He closes three of his last four, uh, seven of 24, 24 points overall. I mean, it's, it's one hell of an effort that Minnesota put up. Uh, and if, you know, the kind of perception going into the tournament about the Golden Gophers is that they were a team kind of just looking to fire their coach and move about it. And, you know, I did, I personally didn't think we'd see much of an effort from him here, but, you know, good on him. That was, you know, a really great, I mean, can't really take much out of a loss, but about as close to good as you can get, right?
1: Yeah, and, and nobody needs another Marcus Carr benediction, right? But, but I'd just, I just like to add... The fact that you uh, enter a conference such as the Big Ten, which is almost utterly dominated by its forward play, and and you're on a team like Minnesota, which just isn't necessarily the best, especially this year, right? And whenever Marcus Carr is on the court, he is the most imposing player on it, right? Other than, I suppose, like, Luca Garza. But, I mean, Luca Garza is just, like, broken. Yeah. Uh, he's OP. So, yeah, it's uh, Marcus Carr is really incredible, and he showed it again, even yeah. though this is one of his last tournament games.
0: Yeah, especially considering no no Gabe Calisher, no Liam Robbins. I really didn't expect much from Minnesota. And the fact that they were able to go, you know, more or less toe-to-toe with an Ohio State team that's really, really good and probably going to have a top-four seed in the NCAA tournament that, you know, can't say a lot, but it says something. Ohio State, I mean, on the Ohio State end of it, there's not much – uh, your two guys were your two guys. Dwayne Washington was 16. E.J. Liddell was 14. Uh, it was kind of a balanced effort, though, really, across the board. Their starters their starters went to work. Uh, I believe it—oh, uh, I don't really know if I caught that Kyle Ar- Aaron started uh, instead of C.J. Walker, but at one point the, I the think groups—
2: I think that's been going on for a while since Walker's um, midseason injury, but I was going to say it was good to see him— have a pretty good um, quiet performance. He had ten points, six rebounds, six assists, um, and he was, from what I remember, he was one of the more headliners of their team. I mean, just like your standard solid big, solid heady Big Ten point guard, not gonna score a ton of points, but good defender, um, leader for a good tournament caliber team. Um, but yeah, since he's been coming off the bench, it was it was good to see that validation that he's still one of their most Interval players.
0: Good player Marquette, too. There was a point where the the, the, the group on the court of Washington, Justice Suing, Young, E.J. Liddell, and uh, C.J. Walker, had, had accounted for nearly all, almost all of Ohio State's points. Uh, interesting note, too. Zed Key, only two points tonight, seven minutes. Uh, Seth Towns, zero points, two minutes. Uh, Ohio State's deep. And uh, as this tournament progresses, guys like you know, Zed Key, Seth Towns. Today it was Musa Jallo, that was that guy that stepped up off the bench for them. I was really impressed with his play. Uh, But Ohio State, their starting play is good, but they're going to have someone come off the bench and be productive. Today it was Jallo. It's going to be Zed Key or Seth Towns tomorrow. I'm calling it now.
1: And given the fact that Ohio State, correct me if I'm wrong, this might be a, an error in my memory, Ohio State was one of the only programs not to have a big COVID outbreak. Isn't that the case? Yeah, I,
0: I think Ohio State went through most of its season uninterrupted. Yeah,
1: they're pretty much one of the most well-rested, relatively speaking, teams in the Big Ten, and that won't only contribute mightily to the their chances in the Big Ten tournament, but it will also contribute in March Madness. Yeah,
0: Ohio State. Let's let's take a look here. Uh, I I'm not seeing Ohio State on a big old pause. Is Ohio State that was a Penn State area? Yeah, Ohio State went through its entire season without having a COVID
1: nineteen outbreak. And I mean, I guess the only thing that that might prove is either they got it much earlier or they're going to get it tomorrow. But you know. <laughs> Well, As we saw with Duke this morning. Yeah, you can it. never know. Nobody's safe. Exactly.
0: Uh, anything else to add, Gavin, on um, the uh, Minnesota and Ohio State game? Yeah,
2: one more thing, just because I can't get enough of Marcus Carr. Um, <laughs> he's a junior, so, I mean, from, by all accounts, I expect him to return next year. Um, but I think we, the last couple weeks, actually, not just today, we got a um, pretty good taste of his successor um, lying in wait Jamal Masperin Jr. has been really good of late. Um, Had 18 points tonight. Um, Did take 22 shots. Not ideal, but made 8 of them more than Carr. Um, But yeah, he's been definitely emerged as a quality scoring option and uh, playmaking option for them since they've lost Kalsher and Robbins as well.
0: Yeah, Uh, I I would have to agree with that. Uh, Next game on our docket is... Indiana and Rutgers, and I wrote down two words here. Fire Archie.
1: Uh, I'm just going to add real quick. I am a bit of a basketball neophyte. I like a very particular brand of basketball, which is fast, intensity, and with a lot of three-pointers. As a result, I only barely paid attention to this game. (laughs) Yeah. So I'll let y'all take this one.
0: Yeah. Uh, Woof. The first half was about as, you know, up and down as you could get. 34-30, 34-30, it appeared that both teams were playing me. well. Indiana jumped out to a nice lead. It was cool also to see a home crowd of sorts inside Lucas Oil with a bunch of Indiana fans. But uh, who knew that, you know, Indiana fans' first time seeing Indiana in person this year could go so poorly. The second half was Indiana played just horribly, and so did Rockers. 46 combined points in the second half after 64 combined points in the first. Indiana scores 18 points. The Indiana offensive statistics from the second half are just wonderful. Indiana was two of its last 16 from the field, oh of its last 13, hadn't scored in two and a half minutes, and I am almost positive that Indiana Indiana did not have a field goal for a long long time an Armon Franklin jumper to make it 48-47 Indiana with 9 minutes and 50 seconds left was Indiana's last made field goal from the excuse me from the 950 mark until the rest end of the game Indiana scored 3 points
1: and, and I'll jump in to say that I thought I was having a stroke because <laughs> as I was barely paying attention to the game, I'd look up to the scoreboard and I'm like, that's the same score it was. that was like 20 minutes ago. So that was that was enjoyable. Three Three points. Indiana couldn't shoot
0: free throws. Indiana couldn't establish Trace Jackson Davis, who was just wonderful in the first half. Indiana couldn't do anything, and the result is a kind of ugly scene of them being booed off their home floor. It just just not pleasant for the Hoosers tonight.
2: Yeah. The crowd was awesome in the first half. I mean, it was just cool. I think we all remarked on it in our blogs to see, just to have, I mean, fans there for the first time this whole tournament. But this was the first time, the first game, it truly felt palpable, which is probably because um, Bloomington is, what, an hour from Indianapolis? Something like that. Yeah, so... Indiana fans came in full force, and there was a considerable amount of them. Um, I remember in particular one, Trace Jackson Davis dunk in the first half, and the arena just erupted, and I was like, wow, this sounds like an actual arena at capacity. And then
1: and then they used it to yeah. chant fire Archie.
2: Yeah, Oof,
0: Archie, Archie, Archie. <laughs> that is a man that... You know, by the time we get this out tomorrow morning, may, may not have a job uh, anymore as Indiana's head coach. That was – it was funny because in the first half when Indiana was up, there was a, a group of yahoos up in the nosebleeds sitting near where we were up in the press box that you could hear pretty visibly uh, chanting fire Archie" to themselves any time there was a minor inconvenience that happened with Indiana. And I was then, uh, when they were still in the game. Yeah, that was when they were still in the game. By game's end, when Indiana just looked hopeless and was down 11. Uh, those chants were much more prevalent in the arena. So, yeah, there, there's not... We thought that this was shaping up to be one of the great games that we'd seen today, and it just ended up not even
1: coming close. Well, thankfully, the game after that really lived up to its billing. Yeah. more than
0: that. Well, that one didn't either, but it ended up becoming the game of the night. So yeah, let's get terrific. into it. Penn State and Wisconsin. We decided to come at, come down from the, the press box and thank God we did take a seat in the east east photo photo deck along with our ace photographer Dylan Widger, uh, and boy oh boy were we treated to something. Penn State jumps out to a lead, up eight or nine points in the first half. Wisconsin storms back. Wisconsin goes up double digits by halftime. Wisconsin gets up. 16, 17, even as many as 18 points in the second half. And then kind of like Ohio State, it all just collapsed. But this one, this one was a little bit
1: better. It it was funny, too, because the the collapse, uh, it wasn't just 19 points and then Penn State comes swarming back to within two or whatever. It, It happened where there was this long stretch of time where Penn State would get within, like, 12 points, 12 points, 11 points, and you're like, oh, is it starting? Or uh, Wisconsin would then hit a couple threes, right? And you're like, no, it's not happening, right? And they kept us in this state for a solid, you know, maybe seven minutes of game time, right? I'd say so. And the amount of, like, mental fortitude and wherewithal it takes to be able to stay at that bubble area of the game for so long. Yeah. And then... And then to, to be able to still come back, thats it's pretty incredible.
0: Yeah. Uh, I remember Jason said to me, it's 70-57 to 57, uh, after Johnny Davis makes a jumper for, for Wisconsin. Penn State goes down, misses. Jason turns to me and says, if Wisconsin makes a three here, this game's over. There's about five minutes left. A lean Ford drills a three. A lean Forbes was great tonight for Wisconsin. A lean four hits a three. It's 73 57 with 513 left. And I was like, you know what, Jason?
2: You're right. This game's probably over. And then Sam Sessions happened.
0: And then <laughs> Sam Sessions happened. And Wisconsin scored two points over the game's final five minutes and 13 seconds. And oh boy, what we witnessed. And you're right. Sam Sessions. He was a thing. Sam Sessions had a couple of great takes to the basket to get Penn State right back in it. Uh, Trent Buttrick hit a huge three to cut it to 11. Sessons got it to single digits, and Penn State just kept getting stops. It was it was truly remarkable, uh, Sessons' performance especially.
2: Yeah, for a guy of Sam Sessions size, lifted potentially generously at six foot to be able to repeatedly attack the rim and make... Yeah contested layups in the fashion he did and just flip it in. Multiple times, he was the driving force of their offense and the driving force of their comeback that entire five minutes. He ended up with 18 points. Um, I think about half of which came in that span. Yeah, a good chunk um, of them, dead. Multiple assists in that span, one of which to our guide, um, John Harar. Uh Yes, yes, the um, king. Yeah, he was... And then... Who who else? Who better than Sam Sesums to end the game with the ball in his hands and didn't quite work out.
1: Which I will point out that uh, I'm a big fan of those end of game plays and really fantastic end of game sets. And coaches work on those like nobody's business, right? I don't really know what Penn State was doing at the end of that game. Yeah, that was a whole bunch of nothing. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was a lot of like little nice movements at the at the top of the arc right and you were thinking that somebody's got to start driving in right because there's about five seconds left on the clock and he decides to let go baseline for real no reason and honestly constricts spacing more than anything yeah. uh and it just kind of gets sadly blocked or stolen or whatever the hell you call that because it was kind of up in the air and it was really disappointing end yeah
0: Great, great heady play from Brad Davison to call that timeout or do whatever he was doing. As much yeah. as, you know, everyone loves to hate on Brad Davison, myself included, uh, that was a pretty heady defensive play uh, to call that timeout as he was falling out of bounds to help preserve that Wisconsin victory. Uh, and, you know, Wisconsin did what Wisconsin does to see that out. Really smart. Just chuck the ball as far as you can down the court with about a second of game time left and, you know, go on your way with the victory. Uh, Sessons was good. The fact that John Harar has ended plus 21 is something. Uh, Penn State on a 17-dude run just couldn't quite get there at the end.
1: I don't think they ever took, despite their comeback and how magnificent it was, I don't think they ever took a lead in that span. No. The closest they got to it was one point Mm -hmm. under. And really... You kind of look at that, and you do wonder that if they were able to take that lead, or if they had a timeout, if they had a timeout, it was just something. It was it was just the thinnest blade edge of yeah. margins. Yeah, yeah. So what are you gonna say, go?
2: Something noted about Sessoms that perhaps better explains his outburst was, and I forgot this myself. He's fifth on the team right now in scoring, only seven point eight points per game, but he's a transfer from Binghamton, um, and there he was. 32nd in the nation, in, or 29th in the nation in usage rate at 32.1%. Um, Averaged 19.5 and 5 there. So, kind of gives more insight to, um, I don't know, his ability to perform as an alpha in that finishing stretch. Kind of has a similar role and, um, I guess, career trajectory to Kobe Webster at Nebraska.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, but the, at the end of the game, too much lateral. Not much vertical. Uh, never a fan of all the all the laterals. You all the lateral stuff. You don't need to Get to the hoop. I mean, I would have liked at least to see because uh, they had success doing it. Penn State had success going at you know Wisconsin's bigs and Reavers and Potter. So if they would have done that one more time, I would have liked their odds no matter who it was getting into the paint. So kind of an unfortunate way to end it, but a great night happened there. Wisconsin, like Indiana, had a, had a fan presence it was there. Surprising. And, Surprising. I don't know
1: how far. How far is Madison from here?
0: Not a clue. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. There were a lot of Wisconsin fans. A lot of nervous, nervous Wisconsin fans. Nobody expected the game to flip in that direction. And you know, Wisconsin's obviously very experienced. They they know. They they are able to respond well when when tested. Jumping in here uh, from. Uh, currently where our hotel is at, so add on another 25 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. It is not bad. It is a five-hour, 13-minute drive from Madison, Wisconsin to here. So that's a very doable drive. Yeah. That makes sense. now. That's
1: no. very doable. I'm curious to see now what the, the Michigan crowd is like. Yeah, um, yeah. That'll be really interesting. But even then, the kind of passion that the Wisconsin fans uh, showed, uh, the uh, nice, really nice old lady right in front of us from where we were sitting, uh, she... Uh, no expletives, but you could feel the spirit of the expletive, yeah, In what she was uh, gesticulating towards the court, yeah. Um, and then as her uh, heroes were walking off the court, she was giving them the full guard of honor, just bearing Thank you. Just you know, thank you, Badgers. So, yeah, yeah that, was, that was incredible.
0: Lovely stuff. Lovely stuff from lovely stuff from the Badger fa- the Badger faithful. There, uh, uh, you know, overall. Brad Davis in 15, a Ford was 17. He was great from behind the arc, five of six, almost didn't, almost went perfect. Uh, Johnny Davis had 10. I continue to be a really big fan of Johnny Davis's. Uh, he's a freshman, but I know it's kind of weird to single out the lone freshman on a team full of seniors, but you know, as Wisconsin moves past the life of their all 23 year old roster, uh, Johnny Davis is going to be an interesting piece for them to build around. Um, So, uh, with that being said, there's, of course, more action tomorrow. Uh, we'll be back for some of the action. Uh, just really quickly to wrap things up, uh, how about each of you guys tell me which game in particular you're looking forward to the most and why?
2: Um, I'm particularly excited to see Illinois play. Um, I know, was it Landon, you got the chance to see them play earlier this year, and that was in that thrilling overtime lost by Nebraska to Illinois. Um, But yeah, Iota Sunmu and Coburn, probably the best combo in the Big Ten. Um, It'll be interesting to see if Rutgers is able to do anything against them. If I remember right, they put up a decent fight when they played earlier this season. Um, And it would be nice to see the Ron Harper of the first half of the season come out and give Rutgers a... Performance to keep them in the game, but yeah, Illinois. I would say, would you guys agree would is probably viewed as the favorite in this tournament. Yep, I'd over say Michigan. So. I'd say so. Yeah,
1: I it, I think it depends on how 100% Iowasemenu is in many ways, which I mean, facial injuries it can be pretty variable. But yeah,
2: yeah, he definitely looked good in that last win of theirs. Yeah, L- looked cool in the process for sure as well. He always looks so um, with the mask. Love with that with the black mask. Yeah, that was in that win at Ohio State, um, which is pretty impressive. But another thing to keep an eye on is their freshmen. Um, Their freshmen were indispensable in their wins in the games without Desumu when he was out with that facial injury um, over Nebraska, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Um, In that Nebraska game in particular, I remember Adam Miller stepped up. I think he had something around 17 points um, and – he was definitely impressive and then Andre Corbeo for yeah, he's good probably the first time this season in conference play strung together a couple of very good very consistent performances mm-hmm. that shows how he could probably be one of the better players in the Big 10 next season yeah is very fun with the ball
0: uh sometimes draws the ire of head coach Brad Underwood sometimes cuz he's a little bit too you know he's he's too risky with some of the things he does but uh, oftentimes it results in some really cool stuff. and. Corbello's a guy, I'm often a big proponent of, when your star player is out, it's a great opportunity for your role guys to get better. Perfect example of that with Illinois going on right now, and that's kind of why I like them so much. Uh, Corbello's a great player, and their their pieces behind A.O. and Kofi. That might just make them the most dangerous team in the Big Ten.
2: I mean, if they have both of those, both Corbello and Miller playing, like they have recently, I don't think there's anyone in the Big Ten that can beat them unless, I don't know, Michigan puts forth something incredible. And, I mean, that iteration of Illinois could very well take down, I would say, Baylor Gonzaga. We saw them play Baylor earlier this year and lost by 13. They were in it for much of the game, and the second half slowly slipped away. But, yeah, if you get that, you you get Jusumu playing like he has the last month, especially before his injury. Like one of the top three players in the country, and then Miller and Curbelo, um playing at that level—they they can beat anyone.
0: Well, Jason, what about yourself? What are you most looking forward to
1: seeing tomorrow? Uh, well, I will first add that out of the corner of my eye, I see that it is two minutes into the second half of Colorado v California, or Cal, sorry, and the score is twenty-four twenty-three. Oh my! Uh-huh. I have. Uh huh. I, I was kind of interested in watching this game. I am no longer interested in watching this game. Yeah, wow. We um, have a rock
2: fight developing. Is Minnesota playing there?
1: Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. This might
0: be a Minnesota-Northwestern <laughs> game. Just translated.
1: So I'd like to uh, throw in Iowa versus Wisconsin. And the big reason for that is I'm always a big fan of when you have two teams that are utterly different te- uh, textually, uh, texturally. And uh, they kind of go up against each other. So you have Wisconsin slow as Molasses, uh, completely half-court-based team, almost no real transition play. Uh, they they prefer it if you try and, like, push them. Um, and then you go up against Iowa, one of the fastest teams in college basketball with one of the most dynamic offenses and also not an awesome defense to match. And you have Luka Garza going up against the Wisconsin Bigs, and there are so many interesting little contrasts of form and style between the two that that it always results in something very... Uh, fascinating if not necessarily the most dynamic because sometimes uh, one style can take precedent over the other that always happens Uh, personally uh, I assume it's it's probably an Iowa win but you can provide good arguments that Wisconsin uh, has a great chance
0: yeah Wisconsin may have the horses up um, especially after tonight looking pretty good offensively against Penn State surprisingly Uh, it'll really test Iowa's defense which has been better in recent weeks but It'll need to turn into quality effort. They played over the weekend, uh, went down to the wire, some fun, fun Big Ten officiating, hashtag Big Ten officiating in that one, uh, that resulted in some very, very interesting things occur. Uh, that should be a great game, though, for the nightcap. Gavin, you got anything to add about those two?
2: Uh, no, I think you guys pretty much covered all of it. Looking forward to seeing if Wisconsin's able to shoot above 50% from three like they did tonight, and if so, they... Um, by emulating Iowa-style play, they might actually be able to hang with the Hawkeyes. Uh,
0: I'll take, uh, for what I'm most looking forward to tomorrow, uh, I'm going to go against the route of saying number one seed Michigan versus number eight seed Maryland, although I think that could be a very good game. I'm going to go with Purdue and Ohio State, and here's why.
1: Because Landon is boring.
0: Because I'm boring. No, I'm excited at seeing what makes Purdue tick this year. I haven't got the chance to catch Purdue in person, but... Matt Painter's obviously done a great coaching job getting to where they're at. Uh, they were able to sweep Ohio State this year. Both games came way early in the season. And both these teams, I think, are kind of different now, especially Ohio State. So, you know, it'll it's hard to beat a team three times in one year. All the metrics and numbers will tell you that. It's, it's, it's almost impossible. Uh, and Ohio State is a team that is kind of looking for another good tournament win, and I guarantee you... They want another crack at Michigan, and the best way to do that, get past a team that's beaten you twice already, so I'm really looking forward to seeing how Ohio State and their depth and talent are able to contrast with a Purdue team that's kind of like Wisconsin. They're not going to wow you offensively, but they have a style, they have a system, they're well coached, and you're you're not going to phase them, so... I'm really looking forward to seeing if Ohio State can pick up that signature victory tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, we're looking forward to providing more action. Where, where, how can they follow the action this week, Jason? How can they follow what we're what we're doing, what we're seeing, what we're talking about? How can
1: how can our lovely listeners do such a thing? Well, if you're asking me about where they can find the matches on TV, I have no clue. Just go to Indianapolis, I guess. Um, but if you're talking about what the DN is providing, we're going to have a podcast up uh, tomorrow, obviously. Um, another one of the dispatches from the Big Ten, we also have a live blog that we've been doing. We offer or we update it pretty much every hour and 30 minutes. Last night, we uh, sent the last post at about 3:45 in the morning, which is pretty enjoyable. Um, and we just kind of have straight thoughts. Not all of them are explicitly basketball. All of them are explicitly this trip related. It's not like we're just talking about our favorite music or whatever but it's it's been pretty fun and i hope you can uh, take a click and take a look yeah uh for myself
0: gavin and jason uh, this has been the first installment of dispatches from the big ten we will see you guys tomorrow